Hello and welcome everybody. This is episode two of After Hours. This is your host, Nicholas Gula, Doctor of Physical Therapy. Today we are joined by Elizabeth Arnold, also Doctor of Physical Therapy and Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. Liz has been working with Ohio State for the past 12 months, just like me, doing the orthopedic physical therapy residency here. She went to physical therapy school at Duke University, go Blue Devils. And something that she would like you to know is she's really passionate about soft skills and her communication strategies that impact the patient experience. An interesting fact that I want you to know about her is because we're pretty good friends, she's a really good college soccer goalie. She had a killer she's laughing right now, but she had a killer career <laughs> at Emory University, but now she finds a love in different sports like rock climbing, pickleball, and beach volleyball, right? And the last thing but not least, I would be remiss I did, if I didn't congratulate her and Teresa. They just got newly engaged this past weekend. Congratulations, guys, and congratulations to your cat son, Twombly. <laughs> So he officially has two mommies. Exactly. So with further ado, Liz Arnold, here we go. Okay, Liz. Hey, what's up? Hi. Thanks for joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Sure. Matt sends his regards. He couldn't join us, but you know, you got the, the lesser of the two hosts to talk with so I mean it's not the worst thing in the world for you I'll manage so you went on vacation this past week right you were telling me I about did. that a little bit before and that's when you and Teresa got engaged correct that's correct so we went to Wilmington North Carolina uh -huh. went to Wrightsville Beach and Wrightsville Beach is actually a place that I vacationed with my family every year for the longest time. So I was able to kind of take Teresa there and show her all the places that we used to go to with my, my parents and my brother. And so that was really fun. And then I had this plan that I would propose to her during the trip. And I think she suspected that I would do that as well. Feel, now, like it wasn't a huge surprise. <laughs> I know, right. I feel like, you know, I feel like almost if, if it is a surprise, then there might be something wrong with your relationship. <laughs> I feel like you all need to be at a spot where you're like, okay, we're committed and yeah. we're going to take this next step together. And we had done that in May. We went to a jeweler shop and bought our rings together. So obviously it was, we both knew it was going to happen at some point. And we both knew that I was going to be the one to propose sort of symbolically because as she says it, I was always the less committed one. I, I, I admit it too. I, I admit it too. It, it took me longer to, to commit, but <laughs> so it was symbolic that I was the one to do the proposal. That's awesome. And so I guess throughout the trip, I was sort of thinking about how I was going to do it. And I came mm -hmm. to that I wanted to do it at sunrise because she loves sunrises at the beach. She always gets up for them every time she's on vacation. And so after a couple of days of us getting up and going to the sunrise, I got an idea of our patterns. And so I texted my friends from Durham who were actually going to be there that weekend to stake out a spot 
and nice. and wait for us and sort of disguise themselves as other beachgoers so they could take some pictures. And so I took her to the beach to sunrise and I was so nervous. Like even though I knew like she knew that I was gonna propose at some point and I knew she would say yes it didn't sure. matter because I just wanted everything to be perfect I, I didn't want her to find out that our friends were there waiting for us and I didn't want her to find out that I had the ring in my pocket uh, so I had to be super sneaky about it oh. and and also I was nervous because it's kind of hard to change the subject from oh look at all these people on the beach looking at the sunrise yeah so. Oh, by the way, do you <laughs> want to spend the rest of your life with me? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I was really nervous and it took me a while to get the courage up to, um, to get down on one knee and, sure. and, and ask her. So, and it, it ended up being beautiful and perfect and we have really great pictures from it. So we're, we're really lucky about that. That's awesome. It sounded, it sounds like that was more of like a full circle thing for, for both of you with, that being your childhood place that you took her and let her in and experience that in life. But then you let her in really to experience life when you proposed. So, I mean, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that, but it definitely is true. And, and it it is a special place for me because I'd been there so many times. And so it was really great to be able to and, and now it'll always be a special place for you. So, mm-hmm. that's awesome. so tell me this. Oh, yeah. So we were both on vacation this past week. So mm-hmm. you went to Wrightsville Beach. I was in a, a lake in Tennessee, Dale Hollow Lake, for a couple of days. Very fortunate to have been able to take off for that, especially in residency. Mm-hmm. But tell me the favorite place that you've ever been to, vacation-wise. Oh, that's a hard question. I I think one of my favorite places that I've been to was one of my clinical rotations. Ooh. I had a spot in Portland, Oregon. And I lived there for three months. And I think that was one of my favorite places to not just visit, but also live in because it was just absolutely stunning. And the weather was perfect in the summer. That's when I was there. And there were so many beautiful hikes and great food. It was just a really cool area. So I enjoyed I enjoyed spending time there. Oh Oh, yeah, the Pacific Northwest is you can't you can't beat it. It's it's amazing. It's always it's always been something out there that been on my bucket list, but I never gotten a chance to do. So hopefully one day. Yeah, yeah. What about you? What's your favorite place? Hmm. I was going to say my last trip to Italy, but Hawaii still holds a special place in mm. my heart. It's just like, like you said, the nature and the beauty of, of everything, just take a backseat to all the other touristy stuff and, or they don't, the other touristy stuff, excuse me, takes a backseat to all the nature and the beauty and being mm-hmm. able to, even on such a small mountain, see just on such a small island, see such a vast array of Mm-hmm. just environments and things that you can explore from the beach to the reefs to the mountains to the valleys in between literally felt mm-hmm. like I was in Jurassic Park the whole time but it was <laughs> well, I've always wanted yeah I've always wanted to go there too and it really does seem like it has everything that you want in a place that's a good honeymoon spot 
Just saying. It is. It is. Teresa, if you're least, if you're listening. (laughs) We had talked about that a little bit. Um, We either want to do Hawaii or we also always wanted to go to Spain together. That would be cool. She speaks Spanish, and so we would get along very easily in the country. And she has been there before. She did a abroad trip, so oh, she awesome. would be able to show me around, show you around, show me all bit. the good spots, communicate with the locals and everything. Yeah, right. And I, I've just started to learn a little bit on Duolingo. So ah, CC. Um, <laughs> so little uh, nice little spot for Duolingo. I'm I'm starting to learn spanish obviously a very very beginner style but it's a good it's thing to, do, to during do something different yeah yeah it's a nice little it's hobby, hobby. To pick up. well mm-hmm. let's do this so speaking of vacations like we're on residency right now did you ever think that it would be possible to even take a vacation during residency i i i wasn't sure but I knew I had to, otherwise <laughs> I feel like I would be super burnt out. So, and I, I knew that we had vacation opportunities because we were considered mm-hmm. full-time employees at OSU. So I knew we had those benefits and I was like, I'm going to take advantage of all of those vacation days throughout oh, the whole time. And that's what, that's what asking your residents told us, right? Is Yeah definitely take advantage of that at some point to me it kind of felt like something that you were voluntold not to do it was like Mm -hmm. you're here for residency you're supposed to not take a vacation but at the same time understanding the the mental side of the game and needing a refresh and recharge and that's okay totally totally yeah I, i feel like the vacation days are necessary in order to you know refresh and get a Get a new, get ready for the next thing you're learning. It's just a lot, a lot easier to have those breaks. So speaking of, so for, for an update for the audience right now, both Liz and I are 12 months into our residency, our ortho residency here at Ohio State. Um, we've almost been in our cl- new clinics. We just switched clinics. Probably, I think it's almost three months now. It's hard to believe. It feels like almost just yesterday that we switched. But now, luckily, we uh, we just welcomed our next class, even though Corona took a toll on the profession in general. We were lucky enough here at Ohio State to still welcome and offer three new seats to new orthopedic residents. So we all had in our respective clinics a new resident start. With that, tell me tell me your experience on that. Like, what what's going through your mind now that these new residents are starting yeah it's really interesting i i first of all can't believe we're at this point in the game i it feels like not too long ago that we were just about to start our residency it last flies year. by doesn't it yeah people it's always weird. say that but i <laughs> it, it i feel like it went <laughs> fast but also i feel like my whole mindset has is so different now compared to where I was both personally and professionally I mean you think like I went from (laughs) moving to a new city with my girlfriend hoping it would work out to now I'm engaged and then you know going into a brand new residency is like scared out of my mind and now here I am the senior resident trying to help the the juniors get get into the swing of things so it's it's interesting and I mean 
you've been listening to me probably a little bit too much about how we've been evolving <laughs> week by mm-hmm. week, month by month, and the idea behind this podcast, right? And I think, I think we both see the benefits and see how we're changing our decision making and just changing yeah. just everyday PT habits. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But, what are you most sure. uh, excited about with the new residents? I think I'm excited to mentor them and be a role model for them in some way, whether that be with clinical practice or with personal issues and personal life. You know, I want to be a model for them to help them with their transition because mm-hmm. I know it was, it was really hard for me um, with the transition. And I had a, I feel like it's a difficult time in the first part, first maybe, you know, three, four months of residency, just, it was just a a lot of change in a very short period of time. And so I want to help them in whatever way I possibly can. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that opportunity of being sort of someone they can look up to. So the, the mentoring, yeah, for sure. With, with that though, it's, I mean, we talked a little bit earlier and you said you got some time with the resident over at Stone Ridge where you're at lay. And Mm -hmm. you said you got some time with some shadowing. Well, I also got some time shadowing with, uh, with my new junior resident, Heidi. And it's Mm -hmm. been really for me, at least eye opening so far. It's one thing. And I was thinking about this. It's like, it's one thing for us to, to teach in the lab, teach our first year class and help with the basics. It's, they don't know what they don't know. So it's easier for us to get by if we're not prepared. We do prepare and we do a great job, but at the same time, it's easier that way. I think it's different when you see this new side of things, when you're now on the same level with the person. Now you're a peer. And this is a peer on peer interaction. And honestly, it took me back for a second. I, it, was, it was a lot for me to comprehend. And I feel like I wasn't totally present with my patient because I was always worried about well, like, oh, what is Heidi going to, to think about what I'm doing right now? Or mm-hmm. like, how, how do I involve her without with, with making the patient feel comfortable at the same time. And how do I like talk through some, like why I'm doing this clinical decision-making and have a discussion in front of the person without making them feel like I'm, we're talking about them instead of like talking with them and figuring out the problem with them. So that was my, with, with the mentoring in general, I think that's something that we really are lucky to have with the junior residents because it's almost like a mini CI test drive. Yeah, it is. And I do, I understand what you mean because we, we did have a first year student with us in clinic mm-hmm. for um, a, a, a one or two months in for the beginning of the year. Yes. Right. And that was interesting too. And it is different. I agree because the first year student is just, learning what it's like to be in the clinic. And so their experience is very different than um, the new residents coming in who are, you know, they're physical therapists and they're peers, like you said. So 
the communication with them is going to be different. It's, it's going to be a lot less teaching someone per se, but more having a discussion and a back and forth about, Mm -hmm. because you know, they have something to offer you. They have ideas. They have a whole breadth of experience that we don't know about. Um, And so I want to be able to have that communication with them and to like, you know, what do you think? Like, what do you, well, how would you approach this issue? And I, I know, I feel like we should do that with our students, first year students too, but there's, they're just learning. So they don't even really know what they would do in this situation. So it's, it has to take a different approach um, with the, with the junior residents. However, I feel like from their perspective, they're probably like, I don't know anything. Like, you know, (laughs) they're nervous. They're like, I, (laughs) they're trying to soak it all in too. So don't you still feel that way? <laughs> True. Sometimes, yes, sometimes, but I'm not as freaked out about that, you know? Exactly. No, I think that's <laughs> that's a really good point that you brought up about and and now that I think about it, it's something that went through my mind more on the surface level, but how like how do you talk to this peer now? It's not that you're you're talking at them. It's not like we do I do this and this for this. And I could almost see myself in the first session that I had with Heidi do something similar where I kind of caught myself and I'm glad I caught myself. And the second session that I had with her was a little bit more, and I, hopefully it was from her. You guys might hear from her later on in the episode. <laughs> so we actually get to know, but I feel like it's moving more towards what you were saying of asking their opinions and realizing that you're not, talking at them but this is more of a like a you can look at it maybe as a coach yeah and then if they have questions then for for sure like go into that quote-unquote teaching mode right Mm -hmm. and and help advise and point them in the right direction definitely yeah and i think i think another thing i mean they're just starting out this week i feel like what I did with Lay yesterday is I, I sort of let him sit back and just watch and take it all in because I think, I think he and the others are probably feeling like it's been a long time since they've been in clinic. You know, they had had their rotations ended early due to COVID-19. And so it's been months since they've gotten into clinic again. So I just I want him to feel comfortable yeah. and almost just remember you know his experience and that he does know how to do these things it's just out of practice a little rusty and just want him to kind of get the flow of the clinic understand the um the documentation system Mm -hmm. Um, we even brought in the interpreter system as well because i had a, a a a patient who spoke mandarin and so had the uh interpreter iPad there and then I put him on the spot and I was like oh you speak Mandarin like you know talk to each other oh no (laughs) did it work (laughs) yeah he spoke really well but he said that his blood pressure skyrocketed so I felt a little bad oh that's amazing Um, though (laughs) yeah it was pretty funny but yeah so it was it was good I mean we we only spent about three hours together and and then he had some other meetings to go to, but um, it'll be fun having him with me because I think I think he'll 
he and I will co-tree well together. Liz, be careful. Your, your soft skills are showing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they are. I, you know, I, I think soft skills is a little, is too soft of a phrase. I think it is hard. I think soft skills are hard. I think some more, people, you mean more it comes difficult. naturally. Yes, it's more difficult than we think. I, I think I feel more deliberate about using these skills and they are skills and they're something that you can learn. You know, I think empathy might, mm-hmm. having that feeling of empathy is think, very human, but then how do you mm-hmm. use your words to express that? And how do you use communication strategies to, to kind of bolster that? And that's what I'm really interested in. And that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to get better at. I know you and I both are very interested in communication. So. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast right now. That's why you're guest number and, two or dose, you know, uh, duo. <laughs> yes. that I, I, I know that word. <laughs> I'm learning Spanish and I do know dose. You looked a little confused. I hope you know dose. <laughs> count all the way to 10 (laughs) i'm just kidding oh yeah i haven't learned that in duolingo yet so (laughs) you definitely can but it sounds like you've had like there has to be something behind why you're into these soft skills people don't just pick up communication or soft skills just because they see people you like because they see themselves communicating well and like oh i want to do this even better i think it more comes from the struggles of Mm. communication do you do you have a story behind that like do is what makes your soft skills your soft skills i think you hit the nail on the head with that point that communication is challenging and it's often the failures that make you feel like you want to do better and learn more. And I think my interest in, in communication really stems from when I was a, a child, I was very shy, had a difficult time communicating with strangers. Really? I would. Yes. <laughs> very difficult time. And yeah. I never told you about sort of my background in that sense. Oh. I think people always see me as an outgoing person. Mm-hmm who can talk to anyone and be relatable and whatnot. But it was very difficult for me to get out of my comfort zone and, and get to that point where I felt like I can talk easily with someone. And so I think what really changed that for me was playing soccer. I was forced to communicate because of the position that I played in soccer as a goalie. Mm-hmm. You have to be super commanding. You have to be very assertive and talk amongst your players and direct them and you know be really confident and that was something I had to really learn and it was extremely challenging and there were a lot of tears a lot of like my chest hurt because I was so nervous and you know I I hated playing games because I felt like I was going to throw up because I was so nervous to basically be that confident person on the field and so I had to push myself. I had to get out of my comfort zone to, to really get more comfortable with speaking. And now somehow I chose a career and I don't think I maybe really didn't really click for me that this career was almost 
I feel like 90% is, is communication. Like our, it's that, it's that important. That's a big so, number. Right there. <laughs> I, I really think that I think, I think it's one of the most important things. You may know everything, you may know what to do, but how do you deliver that knowledge to someone and how do you motivate someone sure. and how do you gain trust with that person? But I mean, that's, that's at least half the game. And I think that uh, I didn't quite realize it until I actually started treating and being a PT where I just thought, you know, I'm completely exhausted. About I would love talking. to hear your goalie voice. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe one of these days. Maybe one of these days. I, I'd have to bring it out of me. I need to play competitive. I need to be competitive in a situation, and then I'll, I'll scream I'll, at you. I'll get you on the pickleball court again. and I need a rematch <laughs> so from that last time. You, got, you, you spanked me. <laughs> I crushed you really it was, bad. That was it, so wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't great for me. But, you know. Hey, anytime. I'm, I'm down to play whenever you want. Okay, it's on. We got nice weather out. Next time you're free, I'm going to text you. Okay, do it. So you made, you made some good points though. I mean, I, I came from something similar and I think, and I always want to bring this back to, to residency right now, just for not only our, our listeners, but for ourselves. And you say you were a little bit more introverted growing up. And that in itself, I think, is important to be able to understand. And I think it's higher level to actually be able to express that and demonstrate that through your words. And I think that's something that's very strong with our residency here at Ohio State, where we, we go through all of the modules, we cover all of the orthopedic information that we need to know, but intertwined in that is this emotional intelligence, this leadership, and it always comes back. And you can see it through all of how our faculty communicate to us. And I don't know about you, but I didn't know too much about emotional intelligence or like what it really meant to be an introvert or is there like now I'm, now I understand there's a spectrum of introvert and extrovert and you're not just one or the other you can be an introverted extrovert or you can be an extroverted introvert and mm -hmm. I think I lie on that side of the extroverted introvert where I also was not as vocal as a kid as a smaller kid I was really uh crazy but in like public situations <laughs> probably wasn't as vocal and probably not. And I'm still not like a hundred percent there just because I feel like I have more to contribute from listening and speaking fewer mm -hmm. words, but at the same time, our patients command extroverted nature. Mm -hmm. So I th think what you say about the communication and the 90% and how that's so important. I, Maybe I wouldn't put 90% on it, but I would, de I would definitely leave it 75% and up. I, you yeah. can know everything that you want to know, but if you can't communicate that or you can't understand where the person is 
in their life journey, then what you have to say, even though it's the correct information, is going to fall on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I agree. Like the residency in my mind has played a role in not only like, sure, anybody can take an emotional intelligence course or read a book, like, right. But it plays a role where you see the leaders and how they demonstrate this emotional intelligence, how it impacts you. You see your mentors demonstrating that to you. You see, and you get feedback from your mentors and how you demonstrate it to them. And you also see it with your patients and the mentoring styles there. And full circle, bringing back to our new incoming residents, it's going to be fun to now see where they're at, starting with a fresh slate, not really, they might have some emotional intelligence background, but not having the same type of us to see and to observe first and then to bring up some conversations later. Definitely. And I think residency is a lot of what about, a lot of it is about is self-discovery in a way. And, and that's the reflection piece, but also understanding yourself, um, just what motivates you? Like, why are you doing this? Because why are we taking a pay cut? Why are we trying to learn everything? And just, I think it, you really learn a lot about yourself through this process. And then it helps direct your future goals mm-hmm. a bit too. And I think that's one of the best things I've gained from residency thus far is, is gain, gaining that more self-awareness and self-discovery and direction for the future. And I don't think you mean like you had no clue where you're going. And cause a lot of people can misconstrue what you just said and can understand that to mean you don't know what you want to do with life. So you want to put it on hold for a second and do this other structured school like mm-hmm. event. And I think, I, I think that's totally different. Maybe that's true for some people, mm-hmm. but at least knowing me and knowing you like I do, I think that's different for you. Yeah, I, I've always been really driven and I've always wanted to try to be the best I could possibly be at something. And I knew what I wanted to practice. I knew where I wanted to practice. I knew my end goal. I knew what I wanted to be as a PT, but I, I wanted help getting there. And, no. and yeah, I like structure to be honest. I like having the structure <laughs> of, of learning. So, um, Nothing wrong with but I, I do think I had to really rediscover what, where this I want to be the best mentality came from mm-hmm. because I think that was really hampering me in the beginning was really making me feel a lot of stress and anxiety and depression just the fact that I was putting such high standards on upon myself so much so that it was just hampering my process of learning um I 
think I put a lot of pressure on myself to, to know everything when now I realize it's not about that. <laughs> not at all. We're not here to become experts and we're here to, to start that journey to going into that path. But it's mm. residency is not about that. And when I started to reframe that and understand my values and what really is important to me and why, where this mentality came from, then I started to take a step back and it helped me just reframe the whole being a physical therapist thing for me and like why, why I want to do this presidency yeah. in the first place. Some powerful words right there. Mm -hmm. I think you're not alone in that feeling. If, if other residents are listening, I'm sure they're thinking the same thoughts or like, Oh, well, maybe if they didn't think about that before, maybe they're thinking about it now. And I mean, that's, that was the big thing of why I wanted to do this. I, un, we understood that we're, we're not, maybe we put the, the pressure on ourselves to be experts, at least in the beginning, or you come out of school and you're like, I want to be better. And like, we're driven. And I think it looks, you look at residents in general and it's pushed towards that. Not to say that you can't be driven and then you can't take it a different path and you don't need a hundred percent residency for that. Like I get that side of things, but if, if that's something that you like structure and this is how you want to go about it, it's a great way to push towards that excellence. At least you think so in the beginning. It's not the excellence, it's you're becoming a specialist. Yes. There's a big gap between specialist and expert. A massive gap. Huh. I think nothing can replace the experience. Nothing can replace just knowing how to communicate, recognizing patterns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All that's yeah, important. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, yeah, the patterns come with experience. The communication growth comes with failures of communication and you can only gain that through experience. Just like this podcast, failures of communication. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> maybe by, maybe by the 30th episode, it'll be a little bit more streamlined. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're doing a pretty good job. I appreciate that. Thank you. But you have to say that because I would delete it from <laughs> the podcast if you didn't. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Doing perfect. Let's, let's get back to that communication piece for a second. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put you on the spot. I know I'm putting you on the spot. But over the last two weeks, what is one communication strategy that you want other people to be aware of what can i learn from you that you've used this these past two weeks and okay and how can that help not only me but how can that help other the listeners as well mm -hmm. yes um great question and i'm really glad i have an answer for you because so am i <laughs> <laughs> i've i've started to write down some things um and I think that maybe you inspired me a little bit to, to write things down. Okay. So I started, I'm starting to get into the Twitter world a little bit. So I'm, I'm 
piecing together some tweets and trying to think about my experience a little bit more. What's your Twitter handle? What's your Twitter handle before let people follow you? (laughs) My my Twitter handle is Larnold, L-A-R-N-O-L-D, D-P-T. Follow it. Larnold, D-P-T. Follow me. I got some good, good stuff coming out soon. So one experience that I had, and I think what I'm starting to really pick up on is that the most interesting patient experiences for me are ones in which I can use some sort of communication strategy that I've learned either from motivational interviewing, from cognitive behavioral therapy, from, mm-hmm. um, you know, motor learning theory, something along those lines where I've, it's something that you have to study almost and learn and practice. But there is one experience that I had um, that helped that is, you know, something I would like to share about thought patterns and about how to identify a thought pattern that your patient is having okay. and how thoughts can negatively impact your emotions and your behavior. And so that's that kind of cognitive behavioral mindset. Sure. So I, you pick up on thought patterns sort of as you start getting to know a patient a little bit more. So, mm-hmm. you know, this, this patient case that I'm thinking about is a 73 year old woman with history of bilateral total knee arthroplasties mm-hmm. um, in the past, about, about a year ago. Um, she had one in, February and one in November. No, I'm getting that wrong, but they're kind of far out at this point. They're healed. Okay. And she just never felt like her knees were turned to normal. And she talks about how it's the first thing that she, when she wakes up, she thinks about it and she's like, you know, disappointed and her knee's not normal. It's abnormal. It's not right. There's something wrong with it. So she's very persistent about this belief that she has that there's something wrong with her knee and that doesn't feel right. And all of these sort of negative connotated thoughts and beliefs. And and in my mind, I think that actually impacted her pain experience because she's ruminating about it. She's ruminating about her knees all the time and she's thinking about it, feels wrong. So one of the things that I wanted to, I wanted to try to address that. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to ask sort of some questions. And I think that that's a big part of communication strategies is sort of um, trying to guide the patient into further understanding their own thoughts and beliefs without you actually pointing it out to them. So, sure, you know, she's, she's asking me, so why, you know, why does this feel so weird? Like, why is it so like, is there something wrong with my knees? Mm -hmm. And so in the past, I, you know, I would say, well, you know, your quad isn't activating quite as well as the other side. And you know, the the range of motion, we can include reflexibility, but that hasn't worked. (laughs) So pointing out impairments. Yeah. I was focusing on impairments, physical impairments. And that works sometimes for most people, but but some people, it just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do the trick. Mm-hmm. And so I asked her, what does normal look like for you? Because she's so convinced that they're not normal. 
she said she wanted them to feel like they were a couple of years ago. And so I kept asking questions. I said, well, do you feel like that's possible for you to feel like they were two years ago? Mm-hmm. And she says, well, I don't know. It's similar to aging. I know it's not quite possible to feel like I did when I was in my 20s. And I said, yes, that's true. And then I say, I think it might be helpful to reframe how you think about your needs. And I think maybe that's a communication strategy because I'm offering up something. I'm not telling her, you need to reframe how you think about your needs. Mm-hmm. I just state, this might be a solution. This, this might, it might be helpful to reframe how you think about it. You know, I'm, and then I'm going to say, it seems like your thoughts about how your needs really affect how you feel. So here I am, I'm noticing that her thoughts and emotions are connected. Mm -hmm. That's for people not knowing that's called active listening. (laughs) Yes. So uh, yes, I'm actively listening to how she, and I'm, I'm really reflecting on what she's telling me and I'm, I'm putting meaning to it too, by adding on how, what I'm noticing and how that makes her feel bad. Um, and then I say, perhaps think about your knees in a different light. Mm -hmm. And then I wait for her to respond. And she says, like the new normal said, yes. What if you thought of your knees as not abnormal, but different? So that's a reframing of what normal is. It's different. So instead of waking up, feeling like your knees are abnormal, and then allowing that to affect how you feel and then focusing on the, the pain and how it limits you. Mm-hmm. What if you thought of your knees as different and you replace a negative thought about your knees with a positive phrase, something that you could tell yourself every morning. And then I almost want to deliver her a phrase, right? I want to, I want to offer up phrases, but I stop myself because I know that's not going to work. It can has I, to come from her. Can I stop you there for a second? Sure. I want to talk about that first part. Sure. And I like, don't, don't forget what you're going to say there, but I think it's really Mm -hmm. important to point, to point out what, what went on, like from what you're saying, you're not giving her the answers, right? You're, Mm -hmm. you're letting her figure out the answers and there's a certain Mm -hmm. trick to that, but it's not, it sounds like it's not just giving her the answers. That's important. It's, it's not the, it's not giving a command. What's our natural, mm-hmm. ins- like I tell you to do something, like whether it's a right. kid and you're a parent and you're telling your kid what to do, like whether it's a coach on a team, whether it's like whatever, you're, you're going to want to, like your automatic thought is no. Like this is an mm-hmm. outside thought. Um, their person mm-hmm. doesn't have my best interest in mind. So the, it's, it's like put outside of their mind. It's, it's there and maybe they listen or maybe they say, yes, that's right. Or I get that. That makes sense. Or at the end you say, does that make sense to you? After mm-hmm. you describe their impairments and they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Does it really make sense though? Yeah. Right. I, like what, who, what would you say to somebody on the phone? A telemarketer calls you. It's like, that's like them saying, do you like water? Like, what are you going to say? No. <laughs> Of course you're going to say yes. You're not going to like, you're like, how often do you drink water? Like you're going to give them an answer. You're going to like go down their line at the end. You're going to say, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
just to get them to shut up. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, so it's totally. It's like the same thing. Yeah, I, I think you put a, you bring up a good point. We, we're trying to almost trick, not trick, but try to bring out something from that person. I think it's guide. And the word you're looking for is guide. guide. Yes. Um, guiding them into them eliciting a thought or belief. It's almost like Inception. Do you ever see that movie? Great movie. I referenced <laughs> it last podcast, actually. Incorrectly, <laughs> really? <laughs> incorrectly referenced it, but referenced it nonetheless. Uh, yes. So the whole idea in the plot, if no one has seen it, is that it's all about the idea that you will not follow through with something unless you think of it yourself. Mm -hmm. And so they have to like plant this idea in this person's head to destroy this or, you know, break up this company, la di da, but they're incepting an idea. They're incepting an idea into someone through their dreams. So it's almost idea into their, yeah, you're planting it a little bit. So that's kind of the idea. You're trying to plant the idea in someone and help them come to realization yeah. And that's really hard. And I, I think what I do with the communication strategy is I ask questions mm-hmm. instead of, do, instead of commands. So I ask, you know, what if you thought of your needs as not normal, but different? What if you do this? What if you do that? And so there, then it gives them the, the space to kind of think through that. You know, mm-hmm. does that make sense to me? Like, what could I do that? You know, and so, yeah. You don't, and you don't ask those questions all at once, right? Like what you right, said yeah, you break them was up. spot on. Mm-hmm. Like you asked like, well, how can you do that? Or like, what does that mean to you? And then you wait. It's that mm-hmm. dreaded silence that no one wants to, to just let ruminate. Totally. It's, it, it took everything in me to, to just pause and be patient after I ask the question what if you replaced a negative thought with a positive phrase and I asked her what what can you think of a a positive phrase like I had to like not offer up a phrase for her I wanted to say something you know it's the new normal or something or you know something I wanted to offer up a solution to her because I knew I I just wanted to give it to her but I knew I had to stop because that's not going to work and I had to, I had to wait. And she even said, okay, I have, to, I have to think about this because words are really, they mean a lot to me. They have a lot of meaning behind them. So it has to, I have to be the one to, to bring it up. And so even she knew the power of her That's own ideas. Cool. Yeah. So after a few seconds of waiting, she came up with, the best phrase I could ever <laughs> even imagine. <laughs> she said, it's a new day, knees. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I couldn't have been more thrilled. Like I couldn't imagine that had it gone more perfectly, but it's a new day, knees. So how was that impact? So I saw her yesterday. And she said, you know, I've been saying that phrase every morning and, you know, it hasn't changed how my knees physically feel, but she feels like she can persist a little bit more. She can, 
get through it. And she even rated her function at much higher level on a, the patient outcome that she was feeling out. She rated her function much higher. I think she was just feeling a little bit more positive about how things were going. Sure. And keep in mind, like this, this patient is the most active, fit 73 year old I have seen. She, you know what I mean? Like she had, from my perspective, she has amazing function. She's playing pickleball but she was, all the time. <laughs> she wasn't a pickleballer, but, um, but yeah, she, she's very, you know, functional and, and fit and healthy. And I think, I think she, there were some other factors in her life, like the emotional stress and fam- familiar stress. So I all, all the contextual factors made her feel much worse about herself. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think the positive phrase, well, it, it didn't totally obviously fix everything, but I think her mindset is, is much better at this point. I think that's the most important thing. Like what's the most special test? The most special test is, does the person believe that they're going to get better or like, right. what, like you can shape that in another way. Like, what what's their belief about their rehab experience mm-hmm. and like i i know you, like you just said it you're you're not trying to bullshit anybody you're not you're not saying like oh this we're going to be lovey-dovey and like like think nice thoughts and it's going to cure your pain mm-hmm. obviously you have to do the right things outside of it but this is another tool in mm-hmm. your box, it sounds like oh yeah absolutely it is a good tool and i think it's a very important tool for someone to change how they think about their injury and about how it affected them. And I think people's thoughts and emotions have a tremendous role in, in sort of if they end up recovering and doing well after an injury to themselves is their mindset. And I think we can really be a part of that process and helping them cope and helping them find their motivation and using our, our soft skills mm-hmm. to help them get better. I think it's important to, to almost do some self-talk before each patient, because if you don't, you might lose some of that perspective. You might be in the documentation mode or you might be mm-hmm. in the, I can't figure out what's going on with this person mode or like, how are they going to respond to my last thing where you have to take out a second and realize where they're coming from. But, Definitely. but talk me through this. Cause not everybody's going to respond that way, mm-hmm. right? You're, you could do that to the next person who walks in the door and they're going to be like, Oh yeah, I don't know. You tell me you're the doctor. What do you do yeah. with that? I think, I think you just need to talk with them and say, and reassure them that they are the experts on their bodies. No one knows their bodies better than they do. And also let them know that we're not here to, my job isn't to fix you. My job is to help give you the tools so that you can help yourself. And I I think we have to educate our patients a little bit about what to expect when Mm. they come to us. I think their expectation is maybe that we're here to fix them, but we need to sort of talk them through and say, you know, that not necessarily going to be the magic fix here. I'm going to help guide you and 
take you through this process Mm -hmm. to get better. But, you know, I think it's just, it's just about talking with your patient and gaining that trust and the mentality that we're going to, we're going to end this together. We're in this together and we're, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help guide you. And ultimately it's going to be on them to, you know, follow through with the plan and follow through with their goals. I think that's something that I miss sometimes. Yeah. I'm, I'm guilty of missing that for sure. And wanting to be the fixer or wanting to, to be the expert that, that guides them to the promised land and like no one else could figure out what's going on with you. Like, why can't like, I'll do it for you. And mm-hmm. I, I think, I think that is the, the coolest thing I've heard all day. And I appreciate that. I think that's, that's something that needs to start at initial evaluation. And yes. it's not, it's not like the empty words of saying, Oh, we're a team. Like, 50% you, 50% me. Like you do your exercises, uh, I'll guide you in that way and like, we'll be good. I think it's more so what you said in the beginning about not being here to fix you, but giving you the tools to fix yourself. Mm-hmm. I think the diff- yeah. it sounds like the difference to me at least, and you can correct me if you think otherwise, but it sounds like the difference to me of we're not a team, like this isn't this. I think it's more about the key words of fixing you versus you fixing you. If it it yeah. sounds to me like that would be much more impactful and something that I want to use definitely tomorrow, mm-hmm. definitely the next day and see how, yes. see how people react to that. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a huge part of it. However, I do, I do want to reiterate that some people are just need care and attention and need, need the, you know, the manual therapy and they need to have a feeling like someone is caring for them and helping them in some way. And so I don't want us to be cold in that, oh yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the one to fix, you know you're gonna it's your job you're gonna do it i i don't want to come off like that i want to no exactly. i want to be a little more empathetic and say you know it sounds like you've tried everything and and you've tried so much that you're at a loss for what to do and now you're seeking help you're seeking someone else to mm-hmm. help whatever is going on with you and so i want to help them I think we all want to help our patients. And so sure. I want to give them that, you know, maybe that whatever it is that helps hands on something to help them just feel a little bit better, but then, you know, helping and then guiding them into the, the things that you know will be effective long-term, which is most, most, most situations it's going to be exercise and dependent things. That's yeah. a fine line, isn't it? Like yeah, definitely. Not wanting to create the dependence that we all know manual mm-hmm. therapy can do, but not wanting to seem cold and high and mighty about, oh, like it's on all the onus is on you. Yeah. 
definitely. So like, no, it's, people it's, will not like, respond well to that. It kind of sounds like I'm contradicting myself by by saying like, well, if not all the onus is on the patient, then it's a team, <laughs> right? Or full circle back to that team. Full circle back think, to that team. I think, but it's it's how you yeah. number one, you read the patient. Emotional mm-hmm. intelligence is reading people being able to actively listen and not just being act, be able to actively listen to summarize what they're saying and make them feel mm-hmm. good about that you understand, but actually listening. Definitely. Like, yes. Each person will need a different thing from you. And so, you know, you have to be very, very good at reading the situation, reading that person and asking thoughtful questions. You know, is there, what do you expect from coming to physical therapy what expectations do you have and if they say Mm -hmm. i'm expecting massage and ice or something and like all passive stuff you're like okay we'll definitely be doing some of that in addition to some other things you know like meeting them halfway in a way yeah agreed pointing it's a great that's a great time to educate And one of my passions, education, but at the same time to take what they have to say at face value and understand that. And maybe they need that. Here's a question for you. Okay. Education is, is a passion of yours. It's a passion of mine. Mm -hmm. How do you deliver education in a way that, makes the person listen and follow through with what you're saying. I think it's really important to let your actions speak louder than your words. Mm. And what I mean by that is don't just start off by telling this is again mm-hmm. about like what we were talking about before and what you integrated with your patient. You don't want to just tell them, but at the same time, you can't insect the right education, right? Like right, that's, right, right. That's not possible at all. But you want them to be able to see why you're making the point. And mm-hmm. that's where in certain situations, the test-retest model is awesome. Mm-hmm. where you're not only being the most evidence-based that you can be, you're not only going off of how this person reacts, but you're showing them the differences that this or that can do, whether that's exercise, whether that's manual therapy, whether that's changing joint positions. So just taking a step back and however you can show the person what they're doing wrong, whether it's, Let's, let's take squats, for example, and they have knee pain. We'll keep going along with this knee pain thing. And you picture, and everybody can picture this. You picture the person who comes in, you, you ask them to do a squat in front of you. Their squat's horrendous, right? They get this huge valgus moment. They pronate. They get that big outtowing of the foot. Like, just picture that. So with that, you could go one of two routes. You could say, well, you need this and this and this because of this and this. Or you could give them a cue about how they feel before. Like, 
what's going on with their knee. And this helps out with somebody who's really symptomatic, obviously. But if you give them either a joint mob or uh, an assist almost, an external cue as in just that band around the knees to help prevent that and help have them push out and then have them squat again. You do both of these in front of a mirror. They look at the difference. Then I say, why? Why, why does this band around your knees make a difference? And some people can still like, I don't know. And, you know, those are the people that you have to like, okay, well, now you have to like take them through maybe step by step or they need, they need a little bit more, a little bit more cueing and help on your end. Whereas other mm -hmm. people are going to say, well, it looks like that my force of pushing out into the band is helping me with my knees and in my positioning. I'm like, great. Why? And then we'll go into the why. And th that's when you, you, tell them like the role of the glute med and why that's so important for the foot and ankle. And like, and you can use that for any situation. That's a very basic situation, obviously. Mm -hmm. and you have to be more creative about how you do these things, but showing somebody the difference and mm -hmm. then helping them understand why that's the difference. Yeah, I like that you use questions to elicit sort of your points from the patient and help them sort of think about it a little deeper. So I think that's a really great way to make it, make it sink in for that person too. And so that's not just you're telling them the answer, they're, they're having to come up with something. And, and here's the thing, not everybody's going to buy into that. Not everybody's going to like be will be willing to participate in your education. So right. just because they're not willing the first day doesn't mean they won't be willing the next few days. You have to have some knowledge, some health literacy to even participate. So if you're one, of, if you have one of those totally. that just doesn't understand, you take that in, in my, in my eyes, you take that, that moment to educate and then you follow up with that education. The next time they come in, like you make, you make a point to say like, this is what I want you to remember about this. I'm going to ask you about this again. So the next time mm -hmm. they come in, you can pose that question. Like, let's go with the knees again. Like why, like, why is your knee hurting with bending down? If they can, now they have some ammo, hopefully, to spit back at you if they remember. If not, it shows you where they're at in their process of how they think mm -hmm. about their body. So then you take, mm -hmm. again, that opportunity, like, oh, we talked about it last time. You, you be nice about it. You, not, you don't throw it in their face. But you educate again, and you yeah. can use that as an outcome. People yeah, think definitely. education is measurable, but it is. Mm -hmm. You standardize yeah. it however you want to standardize it. And then you put that in your objective section. Like, yeah, make it a goal too. Like patient will verbalize understanding of the hip knee positioning during stair activities or whatever. And then what happens once they do get it? You ask them that same question you asked them the first day, why? 
and then they understand my knee positioning is off because I'm not strong enough in my hips. And then you see that light bulb go off, or then you have that opportunity to then explain why that is. And then they're like, that could make a lot more sense. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the long game. It doesn't necessarily have necessarily have to be the short game. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the PT profession, we always talk about compliance and how much of an issue it is, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's because we're not delivering our education well enough. I think it's on us. I take that personally. To, I take compliance personally. Yeah, because they clearly didn't think it was important, important enough to take the time to make an effort, you know? So you have to, you have to help them understand how important it is and then they will follow through with it. And you know what? If somebody doesn't want to be helped, they don't want to be helped. Yeah. You can't force somebody to invest in their self. You can give them right. the tools and go from there. Do you feel like you've had to grapple with that and having some patients that just big time didn't respond? That was yeah. me. Like my first six months of residency, like yeah. I'm on this kick. I'm on this high. I'm in residency right now. I'm on the path towards excellence. I'm going to be able to, to help these people. I think I'm um, like doing really well for myself. Um, learning from all the clinicians around me. I'm like able to soak up all this stuff. Like, let's just help some people. Like <laughs> then people don't get better. And then yes. you're like, Oh, but only if they were with Kyle or they were with Cody or they were with whoever you think of next to you, like, Oh, they would have gotten them better. Mm-hmm. but you go through your mentoring sessions and you see that your mentors have similar issues sometimes and it's not for the lack of trying mm-hmm. and you talk to your peers and it's not for the lack of trying right just can't help everybody and that's not an excuse to not go and seek excellence out and to seek the problem out at the root cause. Mm-hmm. But you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. I can't stress that enough. And yeah. the moment I realized that was the moment that I feel like my care increased exponentially. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not trying yeah. to show, show off to the patient. I'm not trying to prove myself mm-hmm. to the patient. Mm-hmm. This is now that team aspect. Yeah. It probably made a big difference too on just your, your mental wellness and your, you know, feeling satisfied with what you're doing. Because if you take home all the failures and that yeah. just weighs on you. There's always something to worry about, Liz, or always something <laughs> to have in the back of your yeah. mind. But I, I think so. Have you, have you grappled with anything similar? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, um, for sure. And in the, in the, I had that same feeling, like if, if they had a different PT, a more experienced PT, they would have gotten better. I failed them or whatever it was. Like I wasn't good enough, but I, I think I was really hard on myself because I think 
leading up to residency, I was in school, you know, it was a little more black and white, whether you did something right, you got that grade, whatever, it was sort of easier to succeed, I think. Yeah. Whereas in real life, in your job, what is success? Like, how do you, it's hard to measure sometimes. And it's, oh, there's a lot of grades, a lot of grades. And I think that was really hard for me to, mm. to almost not even know what, like what went wrong. Like why, why didn't I fix this person or whatever yeah. fixes obviously in quotations, but mm-hmm. um, it doesn't have to be for all, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you might think of it in that way. And I definitely thought of it in that literal term. Yes, I, I did too initially. And I think, I think that was hard. And I think now I've reframed things and, and now I don't see it like that. I see it as, you know, each patient, each person is a puzzle and I'm trying my best to put the pieces together and giving myself a little bit more grace in that I am not an expert. I am not perfect, but I'm trying a hundred percent of my effort. And that I think patients can see that and they, they're, you know, I think they feel cared for when they know that the person in front of them is really trying and really caring about how things are going. So yeah. I think, you know, instead of thinking of, wow, I, I couldn't, I couldn't fix, I couldn't put the puzzle together. You know, instead I'm like, you know, this maybe physical therapy just wasn't the right treatment. Not everyone's going to get better with therapeutic exercise and it's okay. (laughs) It's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. Yeah. Especially for sometimes being idealistic. Totally. Well, let's step back from the X, the X upset. I can't even talk. (laughs) Let's step back from the big picture. I'm not even going to say that E word that I couldn't now just can't even think of. But let's step back big picture wise. We're talking about communication. We're talking about emotional intelligence from that. And we're talking about education and they're all blending together. And people maybe Mm -hmm. will have a hard time listening to this. I'm sorry if you do, but at the same time, I think they're this, they're one in the same. Mm -hmm. And if you can really listen if you can help people help themselves and if you cannot br- determine your own value and success outside of that, then I think you're on the right track. That's what it sounds like to me, like mm-hmm. importance wise of everything. Yeah. I think that's a good summary. So that's a, that's a, I think it's something that you, you're thinking about these weekly reflections that we're trying to do here. And that's one of my big weekly, weekly reflections. Like that, that was, that's happened to me this week, a couple of times, like going through and struggling with that. And I'm okay that I know that I'm struggling with that. And I'm always going to have to remind myself, but I know that you're there as one of my colleagues to help through so I thank you for that and I know my mentors are there for me 
and I know my patients are there for me. And at the same time, if you're real, like you said, if you're real with your person in front of you, they will appreciate that. They will show that right back to you. Mm -hmm. So this is all outside of that expert knowledge. You're going to get there, strive for it. Like that's what we want in our profession, but realize Mm -hmm. part of that expertise isn't black and white. Definitely not. Yeah. And I know as much as I like to talk about how successful moments of communication, there have been just as many failures and just as many times where I catch myself talking at the patient, seeing their eyes glaze over and those things are going to happen. And it's, it's all a powder growth. When you went, if you're able to pick out situations in which, you know, that education really didn't go the way I wanted it to. And how could I have done that better? That reflection, that's, that's what's going to make you an amazing PT is being able to take a sec, think back at what, what things were said and how you can improve. And your mentors are there to be that sort of other lens, other perspective to help, help you see that as well. Yep. But if you don't understand that, then maybe your mentors aren't going to understand that as well. So you have to push them to, to help you with that mm-hmm. because it's not easy. They're human too. Mm-hmm. They're specialists and they have awesome experience, but they're human too. And if they don't know that what, if they don't pick up on it, then they don't pick up on it and then it's lost. But, right. And yeah, you give them that direction to, you know, I want you to pay attention to how I communicate with this patient today and how well you think I educated them. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, like as you go through the residency, you start to pick up things that that you want more um, nuanced mentorship on instead of like, okay, did I go through that exam efficiently? Did I give the correct or good therapeutic exercise for their home program you know those are like the more just the 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 details which you know they're important to to do to get better at but at a certain Mm -hmm. point in the residency program you start you start being a pretty good examiner you start being a pretty good you know treatment provider so what's the next level up you know and i think it's all about that communication that we're talking about yeah whether you're, you're a resident whether you're a new clinician whether you're a student whether you're a seasoned clinician i think this reflection piece is key and mm-hmm. being able to understand where you're at and where you want to go so number 1 i challenge everybody listening to take 5 minutes just 5 minutes and reflect Reflect about the communication and the education that you have given your most recent patient. Okay. Number two, I want to end on this, Liz. I want to, I want to hear your, your future goals in terms of what do you want to work on? So talk to me about like, what's your next step? What's your nuanced thing that you're looking to get out of, let's say the next month of residency so when we check in on you again, we can all see and hear about your progression. Well, and if you don't have something, I can go now. Thing. 
um no because i don't want to think while you're talking that's not good communication that's not sure listening sure (laughs) um i think well this might be more of a long-term goal for me but i want to improve on reading people better and meeting meeting the situation where it's at whatever wherever that person is at and being able to relate to that so I plan, and and this may be a a new podcast after this, maybe we can talk about my experience after this, but I would love to take an improv class. Oh, sweet. That is where you have to be an expert at reading people and playing off people. And that's all about what we're doing. We're trying to relate to that person and feed off of them that's that's so pretty that's cool. my next step i'm uh, yeah. i'm looking forward to hearing the stories about that and i hope everybody else in the audience is as well that's yes. i hope you can see a performance of mine too <laughs> oh no watch out <laughs> <laughs> i am a performer at heart a little bit i like to be on stage which is kind of funny that's really funny for how uh, introverted you are in the beginning of life I'm a weirdo, okay? I have very multifaceted personality. <laughs> I, think, I think you're interesting. I don't think weird is the term. I, I, like, I like the term weird in an endearing fashion. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I think, I think all of us have different parts of ourselves. You know, I can be an introverted person, yet love to perform and, you know, have karaoke being one of my favorite things to do. Fair so. I guess I guess I could I could be that extroverted introvert too, like you said. Yeah, somewhere on the spectrum in the middle. Definitely me. Mm-hmm. So to hold me accountable, I my my goals coming up are, and I'll just make it simple. I'll make one for now, so I can not do many. But m- my goal is to become a little bit more structured. I am big picture thinking just in nature. I want to push past my comfort zone a little bit. I want to be more structured and more structured specifically in my therapeutic exercise and how I go about things systematically. And I think I'm going to do that by recognizing the, the impairments at hand. So like thinking about literally the, the two or three joints that I really want to work with and systematically keeping track of simple exercises to more and more progressive, complex, increased range of motion, increased degrees of freedom type exercise. I feel like I just jump right now to things and I get excited sometimes and I want to show off this new cool exercise or like I want to keep the person interested. And this is a whole, this could be a whole nother topic as well. I'm sure we'll get into it in later episodes, but I want to become more polished in my exercise prescription. So I will update you and I will update everybody else about how that goes. Cool. I I really appreciate you joining us. This is a a really good first start for our podcast journey together. I hope to have many more conversations like this. I, I don't know about the listeners, but I gained some insight into 
not only my thoughts, but your thoughts and how I can improve myself. So I really appreciate that. And I want to thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a really insightful conversation. And I think both of us gained from it. So it was worthwhile. If anybody has any thoughts, please email us. Our email is connected to our Spotify and all podcasting revenue generating, not revenue generating, not yet, hopefully soon. <laughs> You're making money. <laughs> please pay me money. But in uh, all podcasting sites. So our, our email is right on there. It is afterhours.ptcasts at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and thank you, Liz. Thanks. Goodbye, everybody.